If God is all-powerful, good, and real, then why does evil exist? It's a challenge to understand the evils all around us in the world when we read scriptures about how powerful, loving, and good God is. In fact, it is likely that more Christians have left the faith because of this question than any other singular challenge. That's why today, I want to talk about the problem of evil and how we can answer this from the Bible. Now, we're going to do this three ways. First, we're going to look at the general problem of why does God allow evil in general to exist? Then we're going to look at it specifically for, what, for if you are facing a difficult time, why did God allow this specific evil thing to happen? And then we're going to flip the entire argument on its head and look at the moral argument for God, which shows that the existence of good and evil is actually one of the best evidences for God's existence. Now, before we dive into that, there are a few things that I want to explain first. Now, there's a technical term for this. It's called theodicy. And that is an argument reconciling God's divine attributes with the existence of evil. So this is just a technical term defining what we're doing today, a theodicy, answering the problem of evil. Now, when we look at this problem, we need to understand that this issue concerns the heart and the mind, and one affects the other. Whether it starts in the head or starts in the heart, it's going to affect the other if not left unchecked. If it's unresolved wounds in the heart, they eventually corrupt your mind, and a corrupted mind leads to a, the, the heart astray. So if your mind is doesn't have a firm foundation and a good understanding of the problem of evil, when you face those difficulties, your heart will be led astray. And if you experience these difficulties and the wounds in your heart remain, they fester and become infected and spread and eventually draw your mind away from Christ as well. Now, we need to understand that there's some overlap in those and that, that each issue is going to affect one another. But, but, but and as we look at this, it's important that we define evil. There are many different people who give different definitions, but I think the simplest and most biblical definition is that evil is anything which is contrary to God's divine nature or design. So anything which goes against God's nature and against God's design for our for humanity and for the universe, that is what should be considered evil. So when we look at the divine attributes of God, anything which go against those is evil. So God is holy. So anything which is sinful or immoral, any list of sins is evil. God is love. So anything which goes against that, which is hate, bigotry, selfishness, pride, or injustice, all of those are evil. And also, uh, God's design is for us to have joy, for us to rejoice. So the, anything like depression, pain, and suffering is evil. And even we're supposed to be content with everything we have. So covetousness, wanting something that we don't have, anxiety, stress over the future, lies, loss, and even destitution, poverty so bad that you are starving and going to die of thirst, destitution, any of those things are evil and sinful. Because when we look at this, this is simple, but E-V-I-L spelled backwards is L-I-V-E. So anything which is against life and what God has given us, that is evil. Anything that's living backwards is evil. 
Now, we all should, should separate evil into categories. Some people find this really useful to define moral versus natural evil. So moral evil means evil choices lead to evil results, where a, ba a direct choice directly leads to an evil result. So murder, theft, something that someone does which is evil to another, or even something like gluttony, something we do to ourselves is evil because it has a bad result. Now there's also natural evil where there's no direct connection. Evil's not directly connected to any specific choice. So these are more natural like floods, earthquakes, or diseases. Now again, we need to know that there's some overlap in these things where a corrupt businessman can build houses in a place where he knows floods are likely to happen. So when the flood happens, it's a natural thing for the flood, but for people to suffer because of that is because of a bad decision. There are countless examples where there is overlap between moral and natural evil. Now, when we look at this as a whole, we need to understand that we all have a sinful, selfish, and evil nature, and we live in a fallen world. So we all have sins that come from ourselves, and even the world itself is full of evil. Now, to, to look at this and how this has changed, let's go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 1, when God said, everything he created is very good. So it started good, but then because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve, because of Satan distorting and corrupting the world, and because of our countless bad decisions, everything has led to be what it, the evil world we see today. We read about this in Romans 8. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Creation waits with eager longing, for all of creation has been subjected to futility, and it will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom and glory. So spoiler alert, God, this is not our final destiny. God will reveal glory and this evil sin will be eliminated. But right now, all of creation even experiences this evil, uh, the evil and suffering that we see. Now, we know that the evils we experience were not part of God's good creation, but are the result of our sin and Satan's rebellion. We see this in many times in scripture where Jesus said that Satan comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but that he has come that you would have abundant life. And even we know that this is true even from the beginning, that one of Satan's greatest strategies to lead us away from God is to have us experience evil and pain and suffering. We even read about this in the oldest book of the Bible, which is Job, where Satan says, stretch out your hand against Job and he will curse you to your face. If you take away the protection and the good things that you have given to Job, then he will, he will curse you, reject you, and and just even reject you to your face. So as we keep all of that in mind, let's go ahead and dive in with the general, why does God allow evil to exist? Now, the first and simplest answer to this is freedom. God gives us true freedom to make choices and our free will makes unspeakable evil possible and because evil choices lead to evil results. So most of the suffering we see in this world is a direct result of free will, of people making evil choices which lead to bad results. So this leads to a second question, why does God give us free will? Why does he even make evil possible? 
And again, the simple answer to this is that love cannot be forced. God desires us to love him and love cannot be forced. God could have made robots, people that were designed where where we had absolutely no decision making and where we just love and worship, obey and serve God. But that's not what he wanted. He wants us to choose willingly and freely to love him. We read in Hosea 6, I desire your loyalty and love not animal sacrifices. So compared to following legalistically the letter of the law, God wants our heart. He wants us to be loyal to him and to love him freely. We see this even when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. He told them that they were whitewashed tombs and that they followed the letter of the law, but not the heart. Their hearts were evil and selfish and covetous, but because their hearts were in the wrong place. So God wants us to freely choose to love and serve him, not just to be robots that just follow every single command without thought. So as we look further, many things which seem bad in the moment often end up leading to good. So not only is it free will, but when we experience pain, loss, and suffering, it actually ends up becoming something good in the end. We've all experienced this in our life when we were when we faced a difficulty, but something good came from it. I could tell you many examples from different missions I have done, from my own life, even when I when I finished university, I couldn't find a job and I I thought that was a terrible thing, but God was working on my heart. And a couple years later, I ended up going into full-time ministry. So I wouldn't be here sharing this message with you today if I would have just gotten a job and, and and if God would have answered that prayer and given me what I wanted in that moment. So we see this countless times throughout scripture, including the life of Joseph, Esther, Paul, and many more, where they experienced certain really difficult, challenging, suffering, painful times, but then it came out really good in the end. The greatest verse explaining this is Romans 8, 28, which says, we know that God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, some people take this verse way too far and take it out of context and out of reality and say that God will work everything for your good. The thing about this verse is that it's plural. It's for all of God's followers. God works things together for all his children in general, even if in specific, certain really bad things happen. People die of disease. People go on mission and end up dying on the field before they even are able to reach people for Christ. God doesn't always promise good in each individual life, but everything works together for his purpose for his children in general. Now, if you want to hear more about that, have an entire video about problems with the prosperity gospel, where people say that God works everything for your individual good, which is simply not true and not biblical. I'll put a link to that in the comment section, along with any other video that I reference today. Now, as we look further, we might never understand why. We might Sometimes it's wonderful and easy when we can look back and say, God brought me through this challenge for this good purpose, but we might not ever understand why in this life. But we still need to trust that God's purpose overall 
is good and that everything will work for good even if we don't see it even in our lifetime. Now again, another technical term for this is inscrutability. So that's with our limited human minds and perspective, we are not in a position to judge God for any specific evil which he allows to happen. So because uh, Isaiah explains this wonderfully, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So it is not our place to question God, to say that he is wrong. We simply need to trust obey and follow him and trust that his plan will work out for good in the end. And even if we don't see it, another wonderful passage is in Romans 5, which says that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. So even suffering for the sake of suffering, when we are faithful, it builds endurance and character and hope which is good and beneficial for our life, even if we don't see good results in the moment. Now, as we keep going, we cannot appreciate good unless we experience bad. Again, we've all seen this. We know rich people, even children that never experience a lack of money, that the people that only experience good, only, but they become spoiled. They don't appreciate the good things that they have. So when we experience bad things, it actually leads us to a further appreciation of the good things in our life. We see this in 2 Corinthians. As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, we abundantly share in his comfort also. There have been many quotes uh, throughout time that, that are wonderful explain this. I love this one from Greg Welty of the Gospel Coalition, which says, There is no courage without danger, no sympathy without suffering, no forgiveness without sin, no atonement without suffering. No compassion without need and no patience without adversity. So if we don't experience these challenges, then we can't experience the good things that come as a result of this. So again, even if we don't understand why, we need to just appreciate the bad along with the good and trust and follow God every step of the way. And I love what C.S. Lewis wrote. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So if th things in this life don't fully satisfy us, it means that our home is somewhere else. We are, as followers of Christ, citizens of heaven. So our desires, our longings will never be completely fulfilled in this life, but we have hope and a promise and a secure destiny that this will happen in the future. Now, also, I love uh, 2 Corinthians, which says our momentary afflictions uh, are, are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So again, the bad things we face prepare us for better things in this life, and it prepares us for the life that is ahead. Now, I want to also just think of a philosophical question this isn't directly biblical, but I think this is interesting in terms of the problem of evil. Because when we look at angels, they lived a perfect existence in the very presence of God. And yet Satan, one of the angels, led one third of the rest of the angels astray. So these angels, again, they lived with God. Everything was perfect from everything we read in the Bible. 
and yet one-third of them were led astray. So one of the philosophical thoughts is that because they had never experienced bad, they had never experienced being away from the presence of God, that's how Satan was able to deceive them and lead them astray. So even for us today, when we realize that we experience evil and good, it helps us to appreciate the good, to lean on God, to trust and serve him. And then again, once we get to eternity one day, we will be able to appreciate it even better because we've experienced evil, suffering, and loss. Now again, another incredibly difficult, true biblical thing is that for those who are saved by Christ, this world is the worst thing we will ever experience. But the flip side of that is also true. For those who reject Christ, this world is the best thing that they will ever experience. So it's the worst for those who are in Christ because evil still exists. But for those who reject Christ and will spend eternity in hell, this is the best thing they will ever experience because God's presence is still here and evil is presently restrained. Now again, we know that, that, that this is true, that we have sinned against a holy God and that we deserve nothing but eternity in hell for our sin. But Jesus came, lived, and died to pay for our sins and was raised from the grave so that whoever trusts and follows him will receive the Holy Spirit, our, our sin will be forgiven, and we will spend eternity in heaven with God. If you want to hear more of the full, complete version of this from the entire uh, Bible, I have a video on salvation that, again, I want you to watch. So again, we need to know that if you are not in Christ, none of the comforts that I'm mentioning in this video apply to you. If you are without Christ, then the problem of evil is still there. You are still in sin, in evil, and none of these comforts apply to you today. Now, as we keep going to get a bigger perspective, we need to know that everything, all is for his glory. I love what Romans 11 says. Everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. So people that don't really appreciate the free will argument are going to lean more heavily on this one. And I believe they are both true. But let's read what Paul wrote also in Romans 9, which says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for, uh, for, for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared for glory? So when we look at all of history, when we look at the end, some people have argued that this will be the most glorious moment for God when he reveals himself, when he judges the wicked and casts them into hell forever, when he completely eliminates, eradicates, and destroys evil, and for those who are in him to bring us into eternal glory, that is us, us sharing in God's glory ultimately brings him the greatest glory. So he is just, he is righteous, and he is good. And so he will be vindicated and given glory when evil is finally destroyed. So that brings us to the next point, that evil will not 
always exist. What we see today is not the ultimate end. In fact, God hates evil. So hating evil is in alignment with God's will. If you hate the evil that you see in this world, if you hate the evil that you experience, that is in perfect 100% alignment with God's will because he hates it and wants it destroyed also. And again, he has promised that this will happen one day. And I want to share with you one of the last chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21. I think some of you, especially if you're facing challenges today, might really be encouraged to hear the glory that awaits us. This is what God promises. And this is what John saw in this vision of, of the end. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Behold, God will dwell with them, and they will be his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give them the spring of water of life without payment. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down uh, out of heaven from God, ha having the throne of glory, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as, of, as crystal. And, and I saw no temple in the city. And the city had no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So again, we see this perfect holy city where there's no darkness and not even a need for a temple because God's very presence is everywhere. So again, a lot of people respond to this. This is, sounds great, but why has God not done this yet? Well, again, we see a simple answer from scripture that there are more people who need to hear and respond to the gospel. God is patient in giving us opportunities <clears throat> to turn and trust and follow him. We see what Jesus said in Matthew 24, that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all peoples. Then the end will come. So the Great Commission, fulfilling God's call to share the gospel with the whole world, has not been completed yet, so the end won't come until then. My response to that is that I am so glad that I had time to repent and that I dedicate my life to fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm so glad that God didn't come and end evil before I had time to repent and be saved and to trust and follow him. And so my dedication of my life is to telling as many people uh, of this day as possible. Now, again, we don't know the end. We don't know what day it will come. But what we do know is that Jesus is going to return and judge the world. And so every day that passes is one day closer to when that's going to happen. So ultimately... We need to know that we need to help now, that God has called us to make a difference, that evil will be eliminated someday, but that doesn't mean that it must be rampant now. God has called us to make a difference. Now, there are some specific things. Again, it's an endless list of good that we can do. <laughs> But just some specific things is that we need to help those in need. We need to promote fairness, speak out against injustice, and first and foremost is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. Now, I have a full video of finding God's will 
which talks about how we can serve God and make the biggest difference in this world. So this concludes the first section of why God allows evil to exist in general, but how he will one day finish it. But now let's go ahead and go on to the second section. When specific evil things happen, why did God allow that to be? Why didn't God intervene? Why didn't he prevent that? So these are the more specific things how, when, when, for when you personally face evil, and when people you know and love experience evil and pain and suffering, how you can encourage them and help them through that process. Now, we need to remember that we are primarily dealing with a heart issue, not a mind issue here. So when it comes to the big picture of why does evil exist, that's mostly the mind. That's not emotions. But when it comes to specific evil instances, that's going to be the heart and people are going to be wounded. So we need to focus on healing their heart before we even begin to, to address the mental, logical problems of evil. So as we address this specifically, when we're dealing with these people, we need to be loving. We need to be kind, respectful, and loving, not harsh, not cynical. We need to show God's love to them. We need to be understanding. We need to uh, uh, give, see from their perspective the suffering, the pain, the loss that they are experiencing. And we need to do everything we can to be understanding and sympathetic to what they're going through. Uh, Paul wrote to the Romans, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We need to not just tell them to snap out of it and be okay. It's okay to mourn and to, to experience this. Even when Jesus was on earth, he wept. When Lazarus died, Jesus cried, so we mourn with those who mourn. Now also, we need to be helpful. We need to do what we can, even sacrifice, to help them. Now whether that means providing them food, helping them with chores, or just helping them with whatever needs they have, we need to be helpful, not a hindrance to them. Also, we need to be patient. We need to realize that this healing is going to take time. It's not just one simple argument, one specific point that's going to bring them out of this and all of a sudden make them okay. And the, again, the bigger the loss, the bigger the pain, generally the more time it's going to take someone to be okay and to come back to, to the place of normalness after they've experienced this. So along with that, we also when they are ready, we need to ask questions. We need to ask them the right questions to guide them to the truth. We need to not tell them what to do. Don't tell them the solution. Don't give them commands. Guide them into the right answers, and then that will actually help them to come out of this. And definitely don't accuse. I've seen so many times where people uh, say that this must, this evil must be because of your bad decisions. Now, even if that's true, even if their bad decisions directly led to the suffering they're experiencing, don't accuse them. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, not us. So even... When we look at the book of Job, when, when Job experienced such a great loss, his friends accused him of him committing evil, which caused this to happen. So again, we need to not accuse. We need to follow uh, Paul's advice to the Ephesians and speak the truth in love. Yes, we share the truth. We help guide them. But everything that we do needs to be done in love. 
This is true always, but it is especially true when people are experiencing this hurt and suffering and loss. And now we need to keep it the ultimate goal in mind that we you cannot fix their heart, but you can point them toward the one who can. You will not fix them, but God can. So point them towards God and help them to lean on him. So the first thing when it comes to this, now again, because this uh, we're dealing with specifics, but it can apply to so many different specific things. Some of these might not apply to each, but you need to trust and pray and seek which ones do. So first is that you need to help them understand cause and effect. Were there specific bad choices which led to those bad results? So first is just a simple question like what led to this issue? What, what, what choices, what mistakes, what led to the suffering that you were experiencing? Next is what can we do to prevent this from happening again? Don't make the same bad choices. If it's sin, you need to turn and give that up to God and trust and follow him. That's what's called repentance. I have a full video about this, which talks about the first repentance and how you turn and trust and follow Christ and, and become born again. But that Every believer needs to continuously and prayerfully follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to eliminate evils, bad choices, and sin in our life and to more completely follow Christ. And once also with this, how can we help others to avoid the same problem? So maybe it's not their bad decision. Maybe it's someone else's bad decision. How can we help them to avoid the same problem? And even once you've come through certain sins or certain things where you've become right with God, how can you use that experience to help others? others. Now, the second thing is believing Romans 8, 28, that God works together all things for good. How can this, the suffering that you are presently experiencing, work towards God's greater good? Well, ultimately, the challenge is for us to learn, to grow, and to prepare to serve God even after the going through that difficult thing. Now, I have, again, a full video, which is called Facing the Most Difficult Times, which is giving advice to people when they are in that moment of suffering and specifically goes in depth on Daniel chapter 3. But the, the, there are a few things that I want to share briefly today. If you want to know more, go to that video. But we're just going to very briefly cover these today. So these are eight good purposes that come from suffering. Eight things we can do to benefit even when suffering happens. We need to know that lost people are watching. Our testimony when things are good is, is useful. But our testimony, how we serve God, even when things are... Are challenging is much more effective because it's easier to serve God when things are good than when things are bad. Now, ultimately, our suffering draws us closer to him and lean on his grace. It can break us down to be rebuilt stronger. We can get rid of certain habits, certain sins, and be rebuilt in a new way to be able to serve God better. It helps us to relate to others. When we, when we get through a certain struggle, we can look back and help others who are going through the same issues. 
Also, it teaches us humility that we can't lean on ourself, our own strength, our own understanding. Sometimes we have to experience failure and suffering to realize that we are not enough, that we need God's help. That, and that it also helps us to appreciate Christ's suffering, what he did for us on the cross, and what, we, what he has saved us from. It also can unite us as believers for a common good. So sometimes a church or even an entire area or a nation will experience evil, which will unite people together to serve God. And also, this gives us opportunities to practice our spiritual gifts. I have a full video on the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us and empowers us to serve God. So again, if you want to watch that video, please learn more. Now, as we move on to the next part, we need to understand that we might never understand why but we still need to trust God. Now, again, this comes back to the inscrutability that we can't see God's full plan, but so we might never understand the specific bad thing that God brings us through. But again, we need to trust that it's all going to work out for his good. Now, my favorite example of this in the entire Bible, as I mentioned earlier, is Daniel chapter 3. Now, the, the nation of Israel rejected God. They were taken into captivity, and they were under an evil king who forced them to bow down and worship an idol. And he even gave a command that if you don't bow down to worship this idol then you will be executed. Now, there were three Hebrew men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were in the king's uh, high order, but they refused to bow down and worship. So they were brought to the king and he told them, if you don't bow down and worship, I will kill you. Now, I love their response. Their three-part response can apply to almost any difficulty we face. They say that we know that God can deliver us from you, that we believe that he will save us in this specific instance, but regardless of what happens, we will worship God alone. So we know that God can deliver us. He is all powerful. He works miracles even today so that we know that he can. And we're going to live in faith and believe that God will deliver us from these evils. But regardless of what happens, we make a commitment within ourselves, a commitment to God that we will worship love and serve him regardless of what happens. So we can turn this into a three-part prayer for basically any major difficulty that we can face. It, this three-part prayer applies to so many things. I want to just do it specifically for a cancer diagnosis, but you can see how it applies to anything. So if you're diagnosed with cancer, you say, I know that God can heal me and I believe that he will, but I'm committing to love, serve, and worship him regardless of what happens. Even if I die, I will die loving, serving, and worshiping God. So again, with inscrutability, it's not our job to question, to challenge, or even to say that God did something wrong. And we also just need to realize it's not about us. It, the, this world does not revolve around you. It revolves around it's God and his people in general, not specific. So that brings us to the next point, that, that none is good but God, that he is the only one who is good. So even none of us are actually good. What Jesus said in Luke 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This, this is Jesus showing that you shouldn't flippantly call people good because the only one who is good 
is God. So again, we've sinned against a holy God. We deserve absolutely nothing but punishment for our sin. So that anything is better and then, then anything better than eternal punishment for sin is a blessing from God. This is the perspective that we need to have for everything in life, but especially when we face these major challenges. We need to know that we deserve nothing good, that everything is a blessing, whether and we need to take even account of the blessings in our life, whether it's health, whether it's even being able to see correctly, hear correctly, food, water, shelter, family, friends, those who love us, all of that is blessings. But ultimately, the greatest blessing is that we are saved for eternity, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we have the Holy Spirit, and that we will spend eternity in joy with God, with every need met. Now, so when it comes to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a moot point because there is only one time in all of human history that something bad happened to a good person. And he willingly did that to pay for your sin. Jesus is the only one that's ever been good. So the, when he died on the cross, that bad thing that happened, when he suffered the pain, the shame, and the loss of his own life, that was to pay the price for your sin. So that's the only time that something bad has ever happened to something good. So we need to know that when the gospel is the foundation of your life, your faith will withstand any challenge. When you look towards the future, the hope in the future glory that we will have that's secured for those who are in Christ, it helps us and we will get through any challenge with a firm, strong faith. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Everyone who hears and follows these words will be like a wise person who built their house on the rock. The rains fall and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus is the rock and the foundation of our life. So when we build on that foundation, our, it will be secure no matter what evils come our way. So finally, the last point is that we need to be grateful for the blessings that God has given you, not mad about the challenges. So again, if you follow Christ, your sins are forgiven and you will spend eternity with God and nothing, no matter how bad it is that happens to us in this life, compares to that eternal reward that will be for us. Now, when, when I look at this, when I look here in America where so many people are rich or even when I look around the world where there's rich but also many people suffering, I see that there are two types of people. There are those who are content with what they have and those who want what they don't have. So whether you have a lot or a little, it's your choice to be content or to look at those who have more and want what you don't have. So the, the final challenge is to is don't be envious of God's blessings in the lives of others. So whether that's when God blesses people who are not believers or whether he, he blesses our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, don't be envious. Look at the blessings that God has given you 
and the things that are promised to us in the future. And don't ever be envious of blessings that are given to those around us. Now again, the, the greatest treatise on the problem of evil is the book of Job. One day I'll probably make a full video on Job, but we just need to know that he suffered extreme loss and he never understood why. But he stayed faithful to God and because he was faithful, God showed himself to Job and, 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 and ultimately restored all the the financial things and everything else that Job had lost. So that concludes both looking at the general perspective on why God allows suffering and evil and how we can help someone, including ourselves, when we experience these evils. But now I want to flip everything on its head and share the moral argument for God. Now, again, I can make a full video about this topic alone, but today we're just going to cover it very briefly. And that this is that there cannot be absolute morals unless God exists. Absolute morals exists, therefore God exists. So when we look at this, absolute morals, things that are absolutely good and things that are absolutely evil, they cannot exist unless God exists. So because within ourselves, we realize that there are things which are evil, that shows, this is proof that God exists. So when we look at this outside of God, morality is nothing more than personal preferences. Absolutely nothing can be classified as evil unless there is an all good God who calls certain things evil and gives us a conscience to show us what is good and what is evil. So whether it's rape, murder, theft, anything, you cannot justify anything being evil apart from the existence of God. Now, even when you look at naturalism, the, the consequence or the only viable alternative to, the, to having a divine creator, naturalism, this actually results in Darwinian survival of the fittest, where each individual actually should only do what is best for themselves and only help others when it benefits themselves. That there's never a call to sacrifice and never a call for that type of benevolence. So even when you look at naturalism, it points to the exact opposite of what most of us would consider good and points towards the type of control, power, and taking advantage of others, which actually is part of Darwinian naturalism. So because this argument is so strong and because there is no argument for absolute morality outside of God, some people have taken it to the extreme. And because of the strength of this argument, they now propose that there is no, there are no absolute morals. So they've rejected morality altogether and said that nothing is good and bad. Everything is relative. Everything is subjective. Everything is circumstantial. Nothing is good and nothing is evil. It's only based on circumstances. So again, that is so wrong. That is so different from what God has put in our hearts. If you look at inside, you know that good and evil exist and that this is actually such a strong argument for God's existence. So as we close and summarize everything, we know that evil is real. We know that many benefits can come from suffering, whether ourself or others. We know that God will remove sin, evil, and suffering one day. We know that we need to be loving towards those who are currently suffering and in pain. 
And finally, the belief in evil, and therefore good, is one of the greatest arguments for God's existence. Now again, I just thank you so much for listening. If you ever have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, please let me know. And if you're watching this, currently facing major difficulties and suffering, I just want you to know that God loves you, he sees you, and he is suffering along with anything, and that he wants you to lean on him and trust him no matter what you face. Now, I want to give you one of the greatest promises in all of scripture as a closing. We've read several times from Romans, even Romans 8, about suffering and bad, but the promise at the end of this chapter is just beyond words. So I'm just going to read what Paul said. If God is for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither height nor, nor neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. If you'd like to hear more about how to put your faith into practice, I hope you'll look at our other videos. And again, please feel free to comment and like and send me anything. Thanks and God bless.